Hello, my name is Jessica Owen and I'm part of the team here at WTIN and this is the WTIN podcast. Join me, my colleagues and our guests every month as we talk about new and interesting innovations from across the textile and apparel industry. Whether it's talking to sustainable startups, quizzing experts on the latest research and development or chatting to companies about their most recent products, you can rest assured that the WTIN podcast will connect you with everything you need to know. In this episode, we talk to Geoffrey Sue and Peter Decourt from NTX Cooltrans. The pair talk about the company's hybrid textile coloration system, the benefits and applications associated with it, and the team's plan to scale and continually improve the system through joint ventures. Good afternoon, Jeff and Peter. Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, are you both well? Yes. Thank you. Very, yes. Good. And so where exactly are you tuning in from? So Peter here, I'm tuning in from uh, Bangkok, Thailand, sitting in a beautiful restaurant by the river. So actually not a bad spot for today. Yeah, lovely, lovely. And what about you, Jeff? Yeah, I'm always very jealous of where Peter is. Um, I'm in Taipei, Taiwan. Uh, I'm sitting in the dog kennel because the uh, family is, is trying to sleep now. So get myself away from everything else. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, well, thank you both for staying up to talk with me anyway. I appreciate there's a time difference. Um, But yeah, you guys have a very intriguing innovation that I think our listeners would love to learn about today. And so that innovation is something called NTX Cooltrans. Now, I'll let you two explain more about it in a moment, but essentially to everyone listening, This is sort of a new sort of technology and the company claims that it's sort of changing the landscape of the dyeing industry. Um, So I would usually start asking you guys about the product itself, but I understand that what you've developed, there's quite a nice backstory and I think it would make the product itself, I think people could understand it better if if we hear about that first. So yes, if one of you could tell me about why you developed NTX Cooltrans and your sort of journey to where you are today, I, th- I think that would be great. Hmm. Yeah, sure. Let me let me run with that one, uh, kind of a bit of the, the backstory. So I sometimes joke a bit that uh, the NTX Cooltrans started as, as kind of a love story. Um, and it's not that far from the truth, which is our founders, uh, Mr. Calvin John and Sandra Joe. Initially, they looked at the landscape of textiles. This was way back in the 90s. Uh, and they were looking at means of improving upon uh, sublimation technology to, to create very high uh, quality prints. Sublimation, as we know, it doesn't really work on any other material except for uh, polyesters or very, very, very low elastomeric blends of polyesters. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's quite limited. So they were looking at, all right, it is a waterless technology. There's a degree of uh, factory precision and efficiency associated with just being able to look at a design, look at a color, and just print it in the same way that the paper industry already prints for, 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 for the uh, newspapers or, or magazine articles. And so they wanted to say, can we utilize the same concept here and print print on on fabrics? 
and so they set out on a journey to explore what the limitations and what how far can we actually push uh, sublimation technology. I think it was probably about two years in, they realized that without a fundamental change to the base chemistry and the base process to which uh, you, you actually um, look at uh, putting color onto to textiles, there was no way that they could improve upon sublimation beyond where it already is. So back to the drawing board, right? Um, and uh, that's where they started looking at the, the ink chemistries, uh, the various different types of equipment, uh, and that's where they settled into uh, an area in Shanghai uh, that had a critical mass of both the uh, talent, the workshops, the uh, chemical expertise or the chemical engineering expertise in an, in a relatively uh, short radii from, from anywhere. Um, and that began the whole process of looking at different types of application tech methodologies, different types of uh, um, ways to bind or introduce color into uh, textiles. And so whereas with paper, it's quite simple relatively to do that since there's only four primary different types of uh, paper in the world. Uh, but with fabrics uh, or textile fabrics, you got wovens, you got non-wovens, you got knits, you have polyester, various different types of synthetic materials, various different types of man-made fibers, and various different types of natural materials. Each one has a very different type of uh, chemistry associated with it, uh, as is. So rather than looking to recreate the wheel, so to speak, with different uh, novel approaches to dye, they looked at how to create a novel ink chemistry. And so if we look at how we put color into uh, fabrics today in a dye bath, you're creating basically an ink. So water goes in, fabric goes in, the dye goes in, various different types of auxiliaries goes in. The whole thing is pressure sealed, cooks up to about 130 degrees, depending on, on which type of fabric you're trying to do. Um, lower about 9110 for, for uh, cellulosics. Um, and then you just let it sit there. And looking at probability, the dye you hope, you know, do the whole turn around four times and then knock on your head and then pat your stomach and wish that the color comes out accurately, right? But that is exactly the precise reason why today in the industry, coloration remains that bottleneck is because it's based on a probability of getting color into the, into the material. But this dye bath is nevertheless just a giant liquor of ink, right? So rather than dosing it that way and looking at it from a probability standpoint, they turn that around uh, and adapting a lot of the inspiration from the paper print industry of directly precise dosage onto the exact spot that you want it on uh, within the fabric and then fix it on that exact spot. So because of that precision level, you can see I'm no longer relying on a probability of getting it in, but physically because it's directly in contact with only that precise spot. And so you have the, the color fixed right there. This whole course of inspiration that I just completed probably within less than four minutes took them 
seven years to figure out. Um, and then an additional uh, seven years on top of that uh, to get it to a point where it is commercial. Uh, so starting out from just purely research academic level, uh, point of inspiration of, of curiosity uh, to expand on, can we do better? Can we not create so much waste? And a byproduct of that initial uh, point of efficiency spiraled outwards where they was like, oh, I don't need to use water during the coloration. Oh, the energy is actually much, much less because it's so precise. It's so efficient. Um, and so everything else in terms of all the goodies uh, come to play, including better coloration levels, better saturation levels. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, how it came to be. I see. So yeah, that really is quite a journey, I think, for the company. Um, and I'll come on to the, the benefits of it in a moment. But so am I correct in saying that this is neither sublimation printing or digital printing? You've, you've somewhat created like a, a hybrid or it's, it, its own category. Is that right? That's, that's spot on. Um, it's, it's neither sublimation. It's neither digital. It's neither uh, wet print. And it's neither uh, batch dye or continuous dye. But it's it's a little bit of everything, um, all in all the benefits of taking out all the all the uh, nasty bits of, uh, and yeah, it's what you said is perfect. It's it's a hybrid of all of those uh, technologies together. So it is its own novel process. It's there's nothing else like it. Mm, yeah, because that's what confused me when I first heard about you guys. I couldn't get work out if it was an ink, whether it was a machine or, or what. So yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Um, so how could someone actually use your technology then? I mean, walk me through one of your machines and how they take a fabric and then, you know, all the way through to it, having the design and everything at the end. So maybe I, I can talk a little bit about that. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I mean, next to what Jeffrey described uh, on, on the coloration part, actually, we, we wanted to make sure that end-to-end -end we were using the best available technologies to further drive down uh, all the key indicators of, of, uh, of carbonization of our, of, our, of our environment. So, water, energy. So, we start with uh, basically a novel way of continuous uh, scouring. So, we take in the grate. Uh, we bring in plasma treatment uh, to further activate and, and clean the fabric before we go into the coloration steps. And we have the, we have the two technologies, what we call the Coutrans 2.5, which is designed for artwork printing. Uh, that's, uh, I would say, an earlier generation, but very commercially available. So we print, uh, similar to a sublimation print, but we print the, the inks on a, on a film. And then in a second step, we transfer the, the inks onto the fabric in what we call a cool transfer. So uh, around 80 degrees Celsius. So we don't have the impact uh, that sublimation has on the fabric where you use a high pressure and very high temperature and you basically make your fabric shiny and you affect your hand feel. Uh, that's where the name cool trans comes from actually originally. So we use a cool way to transfer the, the inks onto the fabric. And then we go through a fixation process in a, in a high temperature steamer, uh, a washing off of uh, any residual dyes. 
which actually the efficiency of the printing process is very high. It's 95% plus. So even the washing off, which again is on a continuous machine uh, that we adapted for the, for the process. So the water usage also there is very low because, and, and the, the BOD and the COD values of what is washed off is, is, is very, you know, very, very acceptable because there's a high fixation rate of the diastems. So that's for the print process. If we go into the solid, uh, we developed something what we call the Cooltrans 5 or nicknamed, nicknamed the rocket. I think it's cool, a cool name for a textile machine. No other textile machines have cool names. At least we have one. Um, so basically that, that, that is a little bit the same principle where we, but here we transfer, uh, the inks directly onto the fabric without an intermediate step of using a, a media. So, and we apply them on both sides at the same time. Uh, and basically, uh, that's with a gravier roller. So we could, we, for solid colors, we, we use a solid rollers and for prints where we can make a print on the front and the backside at the same time in a different color, we use engraved loaders with a, with a kind of a pattern. And then afterwards, it's the same step, steam fixation, washing off of unfixed dyes and, and, a, and a final set to add any functional finish that we would need, like a softening, antibacterial, uh, water repellency and so on. I hope that's a little bit clear. It is, yes. I mean, printing on both sides, that's quite, that's quite unique, isn't it? Am I, am I right in thinking that? It is unique if you do it in one step, yeah. Mm. So how come you guys have chosen to do that? I mean, is there a demand for that sort of thing? Like what are the benefits of printing on both sides? Well, I've been, I've been working in the sports industry uh, on, on the customer side for a very long time on the sourcing. And every time we, we took a development from a sublimation print to our designers, they were always complaining, why is the back still white? And it's white and you basically see some of the print from the front coming through. So that, that's kind of what it was, one of the reasons why it was driven for, you know, and then also to, to create reversible garments to, to make the printing look more valuable. Because many, many, in many cases, actually, uh, uh, you would find, uh, like, for example, if you look at a, a reactive discharge print on, on a reactive dyed fabrics, you dye the fabric and then you destroy it, part of it, right? In our process, we, we, we dye and print in a way at the same time. We can do a solid print on the back and, and, a, and a pattern on the front. So without using the harsh chemistry you use in, in discharge printing on cotton uh, and, you know, and without affecting any of the other properties of the fabric strength and so on. So it has many kind of, I think we, we sometimes we still find additional benefits every day. Like one of them is, for example, all the processes are continuous. You know, the, the fabric is in touch with the equipment for a very, very short amount of time. So we're very good with our process of doing very lightweight fabrics, which are normally very snack uh, or easy to snack. And in our equipment, they don't because there's just no mechanical interaction. I'm going to add to that, Jessica, actually, um, which is your question of what is the, the benefit of that, right? So colors getting into fabric uh one of our one of our, our customers told me hey i got this cool interesting material um but we're concerned about the the strength and the integrity of it um can you help us make it look pretty 
right? Color at the end of the day is making the 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 substrate to to look nice. Uh, if it's just white or the off white of of the natural materials, uh, there's only so much that you can go. At the end of the day, people still want color in there. Uh, and being able to do both sides simultaneously has two separate benefits. One of them, such as like plaids or or those tartan patterns, right? Generally, you would have to dye the yarn first before you can create the the fabric. Well, now we can just create all of the fabric and then print that exact pattern on there, and it's visually indistinguishable from 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 a yarn dye. And so that saves a tremendous amount of time, a tremendous amount of effort, and you don't need to use different types of yarns. So the totality of the of the material that is saved, the totality of the uh, kerfuffles that happen because you're using a variation of materials to create that aesthetic are, are eliminated. They become obsolete, right? And then the second one, uh, reason to be able to do both sides traditionally if we look at some of these fancy patterns that have a have a solid back or a solid base of that fabric so that it doesn't have that white backing traditionally what you do is you dye full-on dye the fabric first in a dye bath then followed by either a digital a wet print and or a, a sublimation and what that does is not only is the process much longer, the lead times much longer, but what are commonly not looked at is each time that you introduce heat, or let's uh, to to expand that a bit more, each time you introduce high energy into these polymers, right? Whether it be natural, man-made, or or, or synthetic, they're they're all polymers. Uh, each time you induce heat into it, you change the crystallinity, and that changes the strength. So something that you wanted to make look pretty, now the strength of the material is lost, and then you'll have these uh, jerseys on the on the football pitch uh, getting torn apart because the the football players were were a little bit rough with each other, right? And that causes the brand to lose their image because they're like, hey, am I producing a substandard material? Well, no, it's just that too many processes had to go into there to create that brilliant aesthetic, right? That design the designers took so pr- so much pride in because of the limitations of previous technology. That's That was the outcome. But now we don't need to do that. I can print that exact aesthetic in one step without high energy. And so all the intrinsic properties of the strength of the material are retained. So it doesn't weaken the, the loft. Uh, it's not calendared in the same way that you have with, uh, with uh, sublimation. So the immediate hand feel of the material feels much more luxurious, feels much more premium. And it looks because the colors are so much more brilliant, right? We are not this muted color with sublimation. Um, and so it it pops. It's very eye popping. Um, and so I think that's that's another reason why many of the brands have have tagged onto this technology is because it's enabling their designers uh, to do things in a very cost effective way to to reach that initial design insight. Now, sticking with the the colors and how it looks like, I mean, 
do you mind telling me a bit more about the colour fastness, the rub fastness, the, the accuracy and, and, and even how it feels as well? I mean, is the quality any different to other printing techniques? Basically, you know, I think the, the chemistry of the dyes is derived from, if we talk about polyester, if we talk about cotton, the same exact dye stuffs that are used in the regular process. So we are reaching, if not exceeding, the same uh, fastness values. But the way that we apply them uh, is, is, is giving us the, the better results. So Jeff touched upon the hand feel because we're not using any heat during or any high heat contact heat during the process. The hand feel is, is uh, kept intact or as, as best as it can be. Uh, we talk about, you know, fastness. Uh, you know, we have, we, we are printing, we're putting the dye stuffs exactly in the right amounts where they need to be. So we don't have any excess. We don't have, for example, if we talk about spandex uh, fabrics, we don't have these high absorption rates into spandex that we then need to do reduction clearance in and affects our fastness. Uh, we're using the same uh, dyes as a dispersed dye with a molecular, molecular size compared to the smaller ones from sublimation. So we don't have the fastest problems uh, for transport migration or, or just in general uh, that you have from sublimation inks. So it's basically trying to combine best of both worlds and achieving then uh, best in class results in, in regard of hand feel, color performance, uh, and, and all of these things. I'd add to that generally, uh, if we're doing as close an apples to apples comparison uh, with the exact same patterns, the exact same colors, the exact same substrate that is used, nine times out of 10, uh, our color fastener is going to beat anything else out of the water. Um, and it's because we're, we're, we have that exact precise dosage. The, the lack of excess really contributes tremendously uh, to that color, color fastness value, right? We're almost at the theoretical threshold of exactly how much dye should go into any, any substrate. And then on top of that, uh, we're not changing the base chemistry, right? The chemistry is the same as anything else. Um, so what that means is previously colors such as fluorescence, right? Forget it if you want to do that via sublimation because the color fastness is going to almost be, be zilch, such a high temperature, right? Sublimation happens at about 180 to, to 200 degrees C. Uh, to be able to literally sublimate the dye stuff up to those temperatures. If you try it using those temperatures with a color that has fluorescent, right, something that is light sensitive in a, in, by its very nature, uh, it's going to kill that, uh, that chemistry. Um, and so we can also do fluorescent colors without compromise to that color fastness. We're not changing the chemistry, so generally uh, the photosensitivity of of uh, fluorescent is still going to be the same at about uh, standards about two, three, four, depending on the on the material. Uh, but a, it's doable, and then b, you're going to get the best uh, in class uh, for for color fastness. 
Mm, okay, I see. Um, now, I wanted to ask you about the environmental sustainability of this as well. You, you did touch on it um, earlier on, but have you got any statistics around what savings can actually be made using NTX Cooltrans? No, this is the, the core. As I said, the initial starting point for this was how do we create a more better coloration solution? That was, that was the initial uh, insight, right? And as a matter of fact, the more efficient a process becomes or the more effective a process becomes, the the side benefit is that the environmental impact becomes all that more better, right? I don't use to, need to use as much energy. I don't need to use as much uh, solvent or, or carrier or, or, or water or just chemistry, right? When you don't need to use as much, it intrinsically becomes more sustainable, but it's very, very, very difficult to gauge uh, what is sustainable, right? For example, the exact same plant, uh, any kind of uh, dye house today, if we have it, I don't know, spitball here, uh, in Indonesia or, or, or China, let's use China, where they burn coal, right? And it's probably one of the dirtiest coals in the world, Um intrinsically that plant is going to have a very, very poor uh, portfolio or profile relating to uh, the the plant. So let's call it that that is a pollution index of, let's just say, 100 to make it easy. The exact same plant, I move it over into France where they use all nuclear energy. Immediately, the sustainability index is going to go up because nuclear energy doesn't have any CO2 emissions. Uh, in contrast to to coal and there's no heavy metal leaching sure you got uranium and plutonium but all right who's who's looking right um so based off of just those it's very difficult to to gauge what is sustainable and what is intrinsically sustainable to just that technology so one of our our biggest points at the initial uh stage when we're trying to make the claims that, hey, this is a more efficient process, the natural question is, well, how much are you actually running on the meter? And without actually running a full LCA, where that would involve a lot of uh, long measurements and and, uh, um, um, assessments uh, from an auditing perspective of a third party, uh, we collaborated with Sustainable Apparel Coalition and looked at the Higgs Index where they already have means of looking at different types of materials, different types of processes, what the, and, and benchmark against those. It's not perfect. Um, there's still a lot of ins and outs of, of the Higgs index that are, are to be desired, sure, but it is still at face the simplest ways to make an apples-to-apples apples comparison. So we went straight for that. Uh, and the Higgs index generates uh, what is called an MSI score. In, in essence, what I was trying to do with uh, 100 versus 10 here, um, the Higgs index generates a very, very simple MSI score where the higher the number, the more impactful it is to the environment. So we said, all right, I don't know what it's going to look like, but we know just because of how much more efficient it is, we're going to probably be better than any of the conventional technologies. Um, if not comparable to some of the newer technologies. And we thought supercritical dyeing and or digital dyeing uh, or digital printing, we thought we'd probably be in the same ballpark as that uh, comparable. 
So what was super surprising, however, is not only were we better by uh, uh, twofold than conventional dyeing, uh, which had an MSI score coming out at about 13. Uh, not only were we better than continuous dyeing, which I believe came in at about 11 or 10-ish, not only were we better than supercritical dyeing, which came in at 8, we were even better than than digital and sublimation, which came in at about 7, I believe. So for polyester, our MSI score from input of uh, raw material to an output of a finished material, right? So the entire, the full cool trans process, not just the coloration, the entirety, everything, including the steaming, fixation, and the washing. For polyester, it came in with an MSI score of six. And for nylon, it came in at an MSI score of five, right? So even we were taken aback because one point, it's huge. That's a, that's a huge difference. So that was the starting point to really get our, our foot in the door to talk to the brand houses, talk to uh, people in the industry to say, hey, look, this is not our claim, but this is what the, the metrics came out to be. Um, sure, it's a starting point. We'd be happy to work with you to, to look at uh, a full LCA if you want. But hey, numbers don't lie and this is not from us. Yeah, that's that's quite impressive, actually. I am familiar with the MSI. So, yeah, that is quite an accolade, isn't it? I mean, it helps you sell the technology, I imagine, massively because sustainability is such a huge thing that um, the industry is sort of, well, trying to move towards. Yeah. Um, now, so far, we've only kind of mentioned everything that's amazing with this technology. But I was wondering, are there any downsides at all? Are, are there anything that, you know, any improvements that you want to make in future? Oh, Peter, you want to kick off with some of the downsides and I'll talk about the future? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we, 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 we don't know what we don't know yet, right? Uh, but, I mean, what is an obvious downside, if you can call it that way, it's, it's that it's a new technology that you will encounter some challenges you know we when when we when when the company did the r&d for this equipment they did not were not able to test this efficiency on every single substrate on every single type of construction on every single fabric weight on every single whatever special things we have in textile so you know sometimes uh we get surprises, but I do think that that the company did one thing right uh, that you know eliminated probably was probably the biggest challenge. I always see that in our textile industry, introducing a new technology is it's a huge risk for the company that that builds it. Not because uh, it is difficult to well, not because if it's it's not going to work, because if it's not going to work, it's not going to be launched. But our industry is in, is in nature still very conservative. And new equipment, a new technology always gets approached with uh, large pins of salt and, and probably many other things. I, I often compare it to, you know, we, we, in the very beginning, the, the company tried to sell its equipment to some of some established textile factories. And what we encountered was that there was, these were like little kids that got a new bicycle and they didn't know how to drive a bicycle. And they tried to bike out and they fell down three times and then they said, bad bicycle. Uh, what, I, what I mean is like, you know, they, they, 
it was not easy to operate, so they, they blame it on the equipment and they blame it on the technology. So I think that is still today one of the biggest challenges to overcome because we, we've chosen now to manage uh, our own equipment. So all the technology is rolled out in joint ventures with, with partners where uh, MTX is having, at this point in time, all of them uh, a controlling stake so that we can closely help our partners to roll out this technology and that we can also get the feedback on things that are not working yet uh, and, and fix them back in our R&D. That we also have the opportunity that, that any improvements that we come up with, that they also get rolled out in these JVs. There's no opt-outing clause. So there's a continuous improvement program in place. So that, I think, was, was our biggest challenge. And it still be. I mean, there's still every day uh, things that happen that we didn't think of, right? But I have not seen anything that was not able to be solved and, uh, and move on. Okay. And, and Jeff, you said you've got some thoughts on the future. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so I, I've spent practically my entire adult life in research and innovation. This is probably the 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 first uh, for me to actually get into the the full commercial side of things. The the actual you know getting into the trenches and 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 fighting the 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 good fight. Um, but I join NTX because. This is just the beginning, um, and having that control of the the actual manufacturing, the operations, as 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 Peter said, this is so critical for your ivory tower eggheads. Right? We we pump out great stuff in a laboratory. I can do almost anything I want. I can create this incredible sensor that can look at uh, magnification or, or or sensing of a chemical at the parts per billion level. But then that sort of vernacular on, on the everyday person is like, okay, why do I even care about something like that? Uh, and then you go into the, the details of, all right, cancer detection, various different types of uh, uh, genetic detection. I mean, that, that has, its, has its place. But the critical bridge that has been missing and why we off and on have brilliant innovation, brilliant research, but you don't really see that going into the, the, the actual commercial side of things, or you don't really see that going on to yourselves, is because to commercialize something, to scale up, is ridiculously difficult. Um, it's a completely different lexicon between the laboratory and the factory floor. It's completely different vernacular, again, where you're talking about from the company and then on the, on the consumer to actually do manufacturing for the brand houses. They speak in acronyms that your general person has absolutely no clue what it even stands. But because everybody has gotten so used to it, they're on tight schedules looking to meet timelines and deadlines for, for their customer at the retail level and, and so on and so forth, uh, that that efficiency becomes a culture in of itself. And so the laboratory completely loses it, right? They, they don't know. Why is it my stuff can't get out there? Uh, and it's because, as Peter said, everybody's blaming the bicycle, but the lab technician doesn't have the insight of what's happening on the laboratory floor, uh, on the factory floor. They don't have the insight uh, of what the, what the brand house is actually asking for. And so here with NTX started out as an innovation and research facility. That is still the core of the company. 
that is still the heart and soul of the company, uh, which is in, in research and innovation. So we know what we know today. We know, as, as Peter had also mentioned, we have our, our series 2.5. We have our, our five with the sexy name of a rocket. Um, but each one of those is a, is a tweak on the previous one because of knowledge gained from the factory floor, from the, from the brand house, right? This type of ecosystem never existed before. It was, you had your machine manufacturer on one side of the table. You had your chemistry, uh, let's call them the software. So the engineering would be the hardware. You have your dye chemistry, that would be the software. And then you had your user. These are three different companies. And then at the end of the day, you had your brand house, which was the, the, the fourth leg in the room. And none of these guys were speaking, speaking on the same terms. Now, all three, the engineering, the hardware, the software, and the user are all in one singular unit. And they were speaking directly with the brand houses. So it is unparalleled in terms of the degree of insight that our, our researchers in the labs actually have. It is unparalleled in terms of the actual detailed problems going on on the factory floor that, again, can be solved with, with clever solutions. Uh, and so also what that tells us is now what can I do better, right? We have our rocket. Well, what's after this? Warp speed? I don't know. Um, it, it just becomes completely different language that we're talking now because we have that insight. So it's very, very exciting. Mm. Yes, it sounds. It'll be interesting to see what you guys will be doing in another seven years and another seven years after that and see where you are then. No more seven years. Let's cut that down to seven months. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I'm just looking at the time and unfortunately, we've only really got time for one more question. Um, So... If anyone listening to this podcast today is really intrigued by your technology, how can they access it? I mean, Peter's already mentioned that you kind of work on a joint venture basis. So where are your production plants and, you know, how much capacity have you got to work with people? So, I mean, we have an aggressive plan. So as of today, we have facilities that just do the Cooltrans 2.5, the printing only in Thailand in Vietnam, uh, that's just on the printing side. And then we have the facilities where we're rolling out the rocket, uh, which main purpose for the moment is solid dye, uh, which is uh, Cambodia, uh, Indonesia, and two facilities in Vietnam. And the locations are actually chosen to develop meeting the needs from, from our brand house customers. So uh, it's localization. Uh, to be near to their uh, gown-making facilities, and also differentiation. So the first focus is on polyester. Cambodia is focused on knitwear. Vietnam's first facility will be focused on woven products. And that's how we plan to continue to roll out. We hope to have one or two more facilities in Vietnam on by the end of the year, one focusing on uh, accessories, products, Another focusing also on knitwear and in a kind of a new way of vertical integration. So yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, as as for partnerships go, uh, it's to be in the right location. We want to expand our products. We want to expand looking at cotton uh, next, I believe. But then, as a customer, as a, as a brand itself, get in touch with uh, Jeff and his team. They're the specialists that are going to get your beautiful fabrics. 
log on to www.ntx.global. <laughs> Plug that right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like all systems go then. Yes, definitely. Well, I mean, as I said, I think that's all we've got time for. But thank you so much to both of you. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And I mean, this really is an intriguing technology. I really mean that. And so thank you for sharing your insights about it. And well, I wish you all the best with this solid plan that you've got moving forward. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it.